Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Brian Peacock here alongside the scout Matt Williamson. Today our guest is Ross Jackson. He is the host of Locked On Saints. You can find him on Twitter at Ross Jackson. Nola, Ross, uh, first of all, thank you for joining the show today. And man, the New Orleans Saints has to be a pretty wild team to be covering right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's not really a lot going on over here. <laughs> no, no, man, um, thank you so much for having me on. Very excited to be able to talk about this. And yeah, there's, there's been a lot moving on. And this is one of those scenarios that I always sort of reference when people say, man, it must be tough to cover a football team all throughout the offseason. And I always say, eh, not the Saints, because there's always something. There's always something over here. Yeah, the NFL never sleeps. It's amazing. I get the same thing. And that was my first thought jumping on here because I also do, you know, not only locked on NFL, but I do locked on 49ers. And when I first chatted mm-hmm. with David Locke about taking over the 49ers show, I was like, really daily in the offseason? And I thought about it. And I was <laughs> like, well, draft will be no problem for me. But then June, what's going to be happening in June? Well, this is happening in June. <laughs> like, it's it's crazy. The NFL never sleeps and even more news now. And specifically when it comes to the Saints, we've got to talk about what's going on inside the locker room before we talk about what's happening on the field. And Drew Brees, a pretty amazing week for Drew Brees last week that ended in Friday, a second or even third apology and actually tagging Donald Trump in a tweet, which really blew me away. Take me through what's going on in this process with Drew Brees, what you thought about his initial comments and now about his current stance and how how much that completely flipped and getting with his teammates and, and his leadership and how that all came together last week. Yeah, it was a pretty incredible sort of series of events. So let's start off first last week. And this is the, the, the incredible thing about this is that we're, we're talking about this now, but this really all took place between a Wednesday and a Friday. <laughs> it was within yeah. just a pair of days. Um, on that Wednesday, this interview releases uh, from Yahoo Finance, uh, you know, and the fantastic sports coverage that they do over at Yahoo Finance. <laughs> and they were talking with Drew Priest about, um, you know, the – Everything that's going on right now in terms of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Atiana, uh, Tatiana Jefferson, uh, when you look at uh, Ahmaud Arbery as well. So everything that's been going on and that has sparked national and you know worldwide protests across in terms of racism, injustice, discrimination, prejudice, all of these other things. And of course, police brutality, these things that are very important to us right now, all of us right now. And Drew Brees and the way that they framed the question was in this sort of straw man argument about this idea that, hey, what about the anthem protest? And there's been some conversations about them coming back. Now, I don't know about you guys, but up until this interview, the protests during the anthem weren't even a part of my like spectrum, right? In terms of what I was focused on at this time. Yeah. And, you know, it really wasn't a thing, but they utilized that as a means to get Drew Brees to sort of reaffirm his stance, which he told us all back in 2016 about how he felt about protests happening during the national anthem. And so he went to that place again. And I think that the interviewers knew what they were doing. And that's just part of being, you know, a journalist sometimes or dealing with journalists sometimes. Um, they knew what they were doing and leading him down that path. And when he went down that path, he never once really talked about standing in solidarity with, you know, the black community and the systemic oppression that faces them or racism or injustice or discrimination. Any word that you want to use was just absent in his statement, particularly the names of the people that we just talked about as well and the names of those people since, such as Tony McDade, Sarah Goodman. And so, 
it was absent in this. And Drew Brees represents a fan base that is predominantly black. And that is a fan base that because of all of the charitable work that he's done within the city and within the Gulf Coast in, in Louisiana, he has drawn uh, a very close and tight knit tight knit uh, relationship with. And these people, all of us uh, as, as fan base, Expect that when something like that happens, we sort of look to role models, we look to people, leaders that to sort of represent us in that moment. And for a lot of people, they did not feel represented in that moment and felt that he sort of missed the the an opportunity there. And that's what the whole sort of big initial reaction was, was what about the actual issue here? Why aren't we talking about what's happening now as opposed to these things that were happening three, four years ago? There's no football now. There's no national anthem right now. No one's kneeling right now. Why are we talking about this? And so that's where everything sort of started. And then there were other people that also reacted to his comments in not supporting protests during the national anthem because he made it about military. He made it about the flag as opposed to about the issue that's being protested. For a lot of people, that is a jumping off point as well. And so you saw teammates react. You saw fans react. You saw everybody react. And then eventually there was a... uh, players meeting that was already scheduled it didn't get scheduled because of this situation but it was scheduled on the thursday they had a whole conversation about it very open very emotional shaquille o'neal was a part of it for whatever reason but i'm glad that he was there and so many others um that sort of talked to your and said this is my experience and it was described as a very emotional meeting and my understanding is that it was an emotional meeting from both sides because drew Brees led everything off essentially saying that he understands why he hurt and he's here to listen he wants to know he wants to learn more. And that looks to be exactly what happened. He issues an apology that is in text. He issues another apology on Instagram. He issues another apology in video on Instagram. And a lot of people are still kind of saying, you know, apology, apology is whatever, but let's see action. Let's see action. And then he claps back at the president of the United States, which I don't know about you, feels like action. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> a, a huge stance. And, and mixed yeah. with that tweet alone, mixed with the league statement, which was also mm-hmm. Friday, which they didn't name Cap, but they did everything but say, yeah, we screwed up with the Colin Kaepernick right. situation in 2016. That was pretty amazing. And it really flies in the face with what the president was saying. And you haven't seen that from high-profile of white quarterbacks, especially someone like the stature of Drew Brees, and certainly mm-hmm. not from the league. So that that was both of those statements were really borderline blew me away Friday. Yeah, and and even that statement that was uh, that came from the commissioner, it came from Roger Goodell. Was the impetus of that came from the Saints' own Michael Thomas, and so the Saints really sort of at the forefront of this conversation all of a sudden, pushing the sort of social justice record of the of the NFL. Now people are still, and I think rightfully so, expecting to see more action from both Drew Brees and from the league as well in terms of how they're going to handle this. Colin Kaepernick is a big part of that conversation. Does he end up back in the NFL? That would be a big piece of action by the NFL. For Drew Brees, how does he get more involved in the community? He's got guys on his team like Demario Davis and Malcolm Jenkins who are out walking, protesting uh, right across the parking lot from him. The the New Orleans Pelicans, Lonzo Ball is out there uh, protesting and walking. Zion Williamson's making statements. And so there's a lot of examples around him to see how he steps up at this moment. But also, what are the things that he does beyond that and how long term is is the action as well. You look at Demario Davis and Benjamin Watson, who helped to uh, reduce minimum sentencing 
in New Orleans. So they passed, helped to pass legislature, and they also helped to reduce uh, the re, the restriction of voting rights for nonviolent offenders in prison in New Orleans and in Louisiana. Incredible, incredible stuff in terms of policy and legislation. Where does Drew Brees get involved with that and creating long-term change? That's what people are still waiting for. And that's why some people still aren't settling in term, quote unquote, in terms of what Drew Brees has done now and are waiting to see what he's going to do next. Ross, super interesting stuff. And I love the way you describe it. Can you, you touched on what Breeze means to the New Orleans community. And we have a national audience here. And I think a lot of people outside of New Orleans that maybe aren't Saints fans or not from that area of the country, look at Breeze and say, super successful career, great quarterback, you know, M- or Super Bowl winner, going to be a Hall of Famer. But I don't know if they understand what he means to the community. Yeah, that's great, Matt. Thank you. I, Drew Breeze is somebody that means... I want to say everything to this community in New Orleans because it it really does feel like that. I mean, you're already talking about everyone should be aware that the connection between the New Orleans Saints and the city of New Orleans, the state of Louisiana, and the region of the Gulf Coast is unlike almost any other team in the NFL. There's always strong community team connections, but there's something special about New Orleans. Drew Brees showed up in 2006 on the heels of the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Right. He revitalized this franchise and he did it from an unexpected position. Remember that Drew Brees was signed in free agency in 2006, the same year that the Saints unexpectedly were able to draft uh, Reggie Bush at the top of the at the top of that NFL draft, and the top three picks there. And Reggie Bush was supposed to be the guy that was up until Drew Brees really took off in New Orleans in his very first year. Reggie Bush was supposed to be the savior of the New Orleans Saints. But Drew Brees ended up becoming that guy very, very quickly. So he was also unexpected. He was a big comeback story, much like the city of New Orleans. He had showed the resilience and the the ability to resist uh, um, uh, adversity, much like the city of New Orleans, who had to bounce back. And I was a part of that community that was devastated by uh, Hurricane Katrina and having to rebuild from that. And so there's a connection with this quarterback, just like with this team, that is extremely tight-knit and that is sort of unprecedented in the NFL, but also unmatched in the NFL because Drew Brees has built schools in the community. He has helped with the revitalization of Hurricane Katrina. He donated, he just recently donated $5 million to coronavirus relief in terms of feeding the citizens of Louisiana. He also uh, built a park uh, near Audubon Park that is an all-inclusive park that is for people of all abilities. He's done some incredible stuff in this community that's represented so many people. And a lot of people will use that as a means of saying, look, Drew Brees deserves a pass because, you know, in, in this situation, because of all the work that he's done. But in actuality, it's increased his responsibility to the people of New Orleans in terms of being able to represent everyone that he can along the community. And one of the reasons why people felt like they needed to react in the way that they did to this entire situation because that's just how close for a lot of people this was like their this was like a a family member not representing them or a family member not standing up for them when they were under attack and, and it is that that visceral a a situation for a lot of Saints fans because of how deeply entrenched Drew Brees is with this community and how much this community supports him. A lot of this community doesn't want to see Drew Brees in a booth uh, with NPC, you know, when, after he retires, they want to see him running for local government. Like that's <laughs> how much they yeah, want yeah. to see this guy. It's pretty, just a massive missed opportunity really. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more with Ross Jackson coming up, looking ahead at the 2020 season, how everything will come together in Drew Brees' last run on the field. 
rockauto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online now for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They really have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and extremely easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and the prices you prefer. So, But best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend twice as much at you know the, for the same parts when you can get them at rockauto.com? So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts you will need for your car that you'll ever, ever need at rockauto.com. It's, it's wild because we, we mentioned the statements and a lot of people sort of rolled their eyes at the NFL statement. But I think people met Drew Brees' statements with a little bit more a belief, like they believed what he was saying. And it sounds like his teammates did, too. And, and as quickly as Drew Brees came back and apologized for what he first said, Michael Thomas and his teammates were also really quick to jump back behind him and had his back and were like, yes, OK, this is my guy. And I, I thought that was pretty, pretty clear the respect he commands in the locker room. And, and I would assume that some people in the community were probably mad at his comments at first, but are the the folks in New Orleans like back behind Drew Brees? Is there like any fallout from this where people are like, you know what, Drew Brees, you, you screwed up. You missed your opportunity. We can't ever take you back. Or, or is everyone behind Drew Brees and like, okay, yes, let's, let's, let's vote for this guy for office instead of uh, NBC. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's, it's split, right? You have, and it's split in multiple directions because you have, I'm going to use the word extremes, which is just to just to reference the furthest part of the spectrum, not that one side is wrong or or that being on either side is bad. But you have the extremes in that there are people that are still saying, don't care, not about it, not into it. Drew Brees messed up. And then you have the other people that are saying, like, Drew Brees should have never apologized because he never did anything wrong. And then you have this vast, much larger majority that kind of falls anywhere along the spectrum in the middle that is essentially saying, Happy to be behind Drew Brees. Glad that he put out these statements. Grateful to see that. Even his wife, Brittany Brees, put out a fantastic statement as well on her Instagram. So a lot of people are rallying behind Drew Brees, still with the expectation of more. What's next? And that's okay. kind of that's kind of the the idea in something like this, right? You commend a step forward by essentially encouraging another step forward. And that's what you're seeing from a lot of Saints fans. That you're seeing from a lot of the Saints organization as well. Even the players that are jumping behind him are still very much and probably more knowing about what the next step is for Breeze. Is Drew Breeze going to kneel week one? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, this is something that's really interesting because if the NFL plays this right, then the NFL may be able to find a way that allows players to protest alongside a way that the NFL helps to structure. What I mean by that is that you look at you look at leagues like the MLS, for instance, which rolls uh, stop racism or fight racism ads all the time uh, that are on the sideline, on the sideline ads as you play through, uh, that roll at the bottom of the screen, that do a lot of this work in conjunction with the league and through the league. So if the players and the league can actually come to a place to where they say, this is a it to where the to where the players can agree. Yes, this would be a substantial way to do this. 
and a way that really supplements what it is that we want to do, then they may be able to find a way to come to something. But if they don't, then, you know, it kind of, it kind of comes down to what it is that the players do. I know that there are a couple of players who have already said that they will definitely be kneeling. Uh, you've actually seen Drew Brees kneel with his team before, but if I remember correctly, they kneeled, it was either before or after the anthem. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. Not I think it was during the anthem. It was before. And then they mm-hmm. all locked arms after that during the anthem or something. Right. Is that right, what it was? Right. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a unified show of protests that separated itself from from when the actual anthem was happening. And I think that if if teams are able to find some way to where the players in the league feel like they're getting their message across and they're forceful, like they're 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 getting their message out there in a form of protest, then I think that they may be able to arrive on something else. But we'll see exactly what it is and how willing the NFL is to listen to all of this, because as you mentioned, players fans, probably teammates as well, um, far more willing to believe the words of a guy like Drew Brees than they are willing to believe a guy like Roger Goodell and his reputation within the NFL, which is kind of a good guy, bad guy thing between the two. Um, So we'll see exactly what it is that actually comes from these next steps for the NFL. Ross, I'm excited to talk football with you, but my last thing kind of leads to that. Do you think this whole situation divides or negatively impacts the locker room two, three months from now when we're playing games? I don't think so within the saints. Um, you know, okay. I, I can really only speak from, from that perspective. Uh, I, I think that when it comes to new Orleans, they will find some way to unify their approach and they will find some way to unify um uh, their message. And this is a, a locker room that is extremely tight knit. That's extremely close. One of the best cultures in the NFL, the family value sort of approach that Sean Payton, Gail Benson, Mickey Loomis have taken from the top has trickled down to these players and throughout the community as well. And so the connection amongst them is very strong. The support system amongst them is very strong. And I think that that will lend itself to being allowing that locker room and the culture of the New Orleans Saints to maintain even as we get closer and closer to the NFL season to where maybe we do have to ask some of these questions about who kneels, who doesn't kneel, are people going to kneel at all, what's going to be arranged, yada, yada. How do we answer these questions? I think that throughout all of that, regardless of what happens, this Saints locker room will be able to maintain because they've started this conversation from a really specific standpoint much earlier than most teams might have if they were just sort of shaken by it at let's say week one or during the preseason, these guys now have, you know, months out to sort of plan their approach. If the NFL doesn't unify something with the players ahead of time. I have to imagine no matter where the relationship is between Drew Brees and Michael Thomas, that Michael Thomas isn't going to see 185 targets again, right? In that saints (laughs) offense, 149 (laughs) catches, just unbelievable. A hundred and what was it? 119 more catches than the second leading Mm -hmm. wide receiver in Ted Ginn, who only caught 30 passes to Michael Thomas's 149. The saints brought in Emmanuel Sanders from the 49ers. Do you expect Sanders to have a big load there in new Orleans this year? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if I have my way, you know, uh, Michael Thomas does not walk away with 120 catches, 130 catches next season. If he tops over 100, that's great because then he just continues to be another part. You know, it continues to be the leading part of that team and the most consistent part of that team. But having a guy like Emmanuel Sanders present, having, a you know, Jared Cook that's there, a healthy Alvin Kamara, all that's going to eat into the targets for Michael Thomas. And I think that's something that we can actually be grateful for because it allows him to be a little bit more efficient 
and and more impactful with the catches that he does get. Everyone knows that the, that the ball is going to go to Michael Thomas, but it used to be that they still couldn't stop him anyway. At least now with another viable option, Emmanuel Sanders, who I believe will be he's not the answer long-term at the wide receiver two position, obviously when you consider his age and his skill set, but he is a much better option for the saints, at least right now than Ted Ginn jr. Had been over the last couple of years and his sort of inconsistency uh, from that position. And so I think that that benefits Michael Thomas and Drew Brees to continue to have that connection, but also gives Drew Brees more options on the field and effects across the whole way, because you can't just double team Michael Thomas, triple team Michael Thomas and leave these other weapons open. Like you could have done with a guy like Ted Ginn jr. Who might just drop the pass. Anyway, this now at least puts them in a position to where they have more options and viable options and reliable targets for Drew Brees opposite Michael Thomas. Uh, Ross, I don't want to say Breeze is at the end. We know his age. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Teams tell you what they think. They don't want him throwing 50 times a game. They're they're supporting him with a lot. Uh, he doesn't have to carry things like he did at one point. So let's operate under the assumption, and maybe we're jumping the gun, that the, that the Saints, he's only going to play one more year. If you were to handicap the 2021 Saints starting quarterback, Winston Hill or someone in college right now, what direction would you lean? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really fun conversation to have because uh, for a lot of Saints fans, this is Drew Brees' last year, myself included, you know, covering the team that a lot of us expect that this is the final year for him, the way that his contract is structured. Yes, it's a two-year contract, but there's an out after the first year as all the guaranteed money comes out in the first year. And his salary drops, I think it's $15 million if he retires as opposed to if he returns in 2021. So considering what could potentially happen to the NFL salary cap, it might actually be in the Saints' best interest that he retires after this year as well. But when it comes to who's going to take over after him, it's such a fun conversation because it used to be, hey, is it going to be a new guy that we don't know about or is it going to be Taysom Hill, who for the most part we don't know about because he's, you know, he threw six passes last year, completed three of them, and then the three incomplete passes came twice on fake punts and once on this weird end-around play that didn't work to Jared Cook on the right side. So Not, not typical quarterback play. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Exactly. But we saw him complete you know, over 70% of his passes just two preseasons ago, and then we also saw him complete over 65% of his passes last preseason. So you see, and of course that's preseason, but that's better than, you know, that competition is better than his BYU competition where he was horrid in terms of his completion percentage and his and his uh, passer rating. So you've seen him improve at the next level. Now can he take the next step from that preseason who might make the roster, who won't make the roster competition to actual NFL regular season opponents and uh, talented rosters. So it, 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 that used to be the conversation. Now it's like, do we go, do, do the Saints go to Taysom Hill or do they keep another 5,000 yard passer around, which is just a pretty incredible situation to be in uh, for a team. Because for a lot of teams, you stuck looking at, is it going to be some unknown quantity or is it going to be somebody, or, I'm sorry, unknown commodity, or is it going to be, you know, just sticking with the same guy. Now the Saints have, Every option that they could imagine, they have a cannon of a right arm in Jameis Winston, who they just need to work with being a, you know, a better decision maker and a lot less reckless, or Taysom Hill, who just needs to continue to improve as a passer. And the Saints, of course, get to see that in practice. They get to see that in training camp. They get to see that more than we have access to seeing it on Sundays. Uh, so it, it kind of depends on which direction the Saints are able to go, but now there's competition there. For me, as of right now, I go with Taysom Hill. But I'm prepared for that to change when it comes to Jameis Winston. The only reason why I go with Taysom Hill is because it's a logical thing to do because he's been with the team two years. He knows the system. He's already 
worked under center for this team. This team knows his cadence, knows his intonation, knows everything about him to that extent. So it's a more comfortable shift. But if you want to, you know, but if Jameis Winston ends up showing that he can be a better decision maker at the LASIK eye surgery made, you know, a, a mad crazy difference and that he can be a better quarterback and a less risky quarterback under Sean Payton, then I'm prepared for that to shift to Jameis Winston. But for right now, just because of what the logic of it is and his familiarity with the team, I go with Taysom Hill. Alvin Kamara, where's he at contract wise with the Saints looking ahead at some salary cap implications with the direction the cap is currently headed most likely for 2021. And what about that Saints defense, the versatile back end next? One more question about the offensive side of the ball, Ross, and that is Alvin Kamara. And of course, health is going to be a big factor for any team in the league, but especially the Saints with Drew Brees and Kamara. Where is Kamara health wise? And what about that contract situation that's looming there? Is there potential that um, Brees and Kamara could leave after this season in New Orleans? And what sort of a deal would Kamara be looking like? And does this new idea that potentially the salary cap won't grow and could even drop in 2021 really screw a team like the saints. Yeah, that's really the big, that, that last point there is really the biggest part of this conversation because until there's more transparency about either contingency plans from the NFL in terms of here's how we're going to counteract the potential drop in the salary cap, or just in terms of an understanding of what that drop is going to look like, which you can't really have until we know, you know, if there's going to be fans of the stands or, or, or whatever that might be, or any other type of cash driving initiatives that the NFL creates in lieu of that money that is lost through ticket sales. We don't really know what the teams expect to do. It's why you don't see a lot of rookies right now with their drafts, you know, with their draft picks signed, you know, it's why you don't see a lot of teams signing their draft picks right now. And these extensions are, are even fewer and far between as well. And so it does make it very tough. There is the potential that both Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara are gone next year. And that's not me saying that I don't believe that the Saints should keep Alvin Kamara because Alvin Kamara has been such a huge part of this team, but it's just, it's, it's a simple version of the realities that could take place next season. And it would be tough for the Saints to be able to counteract that because what's the best part? What's the, one of the best things that you can give a young quarterback or a struggling quarterback? It's a good run game. And so if you lose your top run guy, you know, you, you lose your top running back, what do you do in that case? Now, there's going to be some great running backs in next year's draft. Could the Saints go ahead and jump in in the first round and grab a guy like Travis Etienne out of Clemson who helps to replace a guy like Alvin Kamara and give you another option? Potentially. But for the Saints, I think that their biggest MO this offseason, and I think next offseason as well, has been to maintain, and we've seen it over the past few years, to maintain as much of their roster as possible from year to year. And that's why they've gone to three straight uh, playoffs. They haven't worked out great, but they've gone to three straight playoffs with this team. And that's something that's been a, a huge driving force for them in offseasons. So I think that for the Saints, they want to maintain as much of that team as possible. But, you know, Dalvin Cook now is talking about holding out because he wants to get paid upwards of if not 13 million dollars to be at or above uh david johnson's contract so at least he's not trying to push christian mccaffrey's number of 16 million right so that's at least one piece of good news for the saints but how they figure out this money and because they can't offset next year's costs with their salary this year like some teams might be able to do with extensions it just becomes a pretty tough conversation about how do you afford a guy like alvin Kamara, and is it worth investing that much money in a running back he seems to be at 100%, everything that we've heard so far, he claimed to be at 75% last year, but his drop-off was pretty substantial in terms of what we saw in 2017, his 
his rookie of the year year in 2018, a fantastic sophomore campaign. So we'll see exactly what he looks like back at 100% here. But he looked great at the end of last season, looked fantastic at the beginning of last season. So uh, he could he could go out there and essentially perform in such a way that the Saints feel like they have no choice but to find a way to keep the guy around. Yeah, and Joe Mixon could be holding out. Um, you know, sticking with this, the, the Saints being a highly interesting and unique team, their draft had three guys, and it's one of my favorite drafts <laughs> in the, of all. I mean, I love all three players, and this was a team that came in the draft without a lot of needs, not a lot of holes, not a lot of roster spots to give. You're not going to bring in 10 guys. So I thought it was masterful, and I love all three players. Yeah, this was a really interesting draft for uh, for Saints fans to watch because, you know, they they get Cesar Ruiz uh, in the first round, which now with hindsight, I think a lot of Saints fans have calmed down about <laughs> right. in that first round. You know, everybody wanted, yeah, everybody wanted, you know, uh, Patrick Queen was still on the board. Everybody wanted that wide receiver, any of the wide receivers that were still there as well. And, and that makes perfect sense. But for the Saints, they were very disappointed in Larry Warford's play. So now they've they've cut Larry Warford. They bring in Cesar Ruiz. I expect that Cesar Ruiz will plug in at center. And last year's center, Eric McCoy, who was, who was a rookie last year going into his second year now, will shift over to uh, the right guard position in lieu of uh, Larry Warford. So he was a fantastic get for this team. Adam Troutman and Zach Bond in the third round, both of those guys. Adam Troutman was my tight end one. Zach Bond was a lot of people's tight end three or four um, and really looked at him as sort of a bottom of the first early second round guy as an edge rusher. But the Saints are really interested in him playing more of a Sam Mike Will role, an off-ball linebacker role that can contribute to the pass rush, either from the second level or in sub packages. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening uh, there. And then the Saints also, let's not forget, they traded their entire day three selection to get up and grab Adam Troutman. And uh, Jeff Ireland uh, seems to be convinced that Adam Troutman, even as a rookie tight end, will be an immediate contributor. He's a great blocker and a fantastic pass catcher. But then also traded back in in the seventh round at pick 240 to grab Tommy Stevens, which I think is one of my favorite draft stories I've ever heard because they traded back into the seventh round to grab him because they were talking to him as a undrafted free agent. But then their agent, Tommy's agent stopped taking the saints calls because they had seemed pretty locked in on going and uh, joining Joe Brady, who was formerly at Penn state with Tommy Stevens over in Carolina. And then so Sean Payton and uh, Mickey Loomis traded next year's six round draft pick to get back in at 240, draft Tommy Stevens, and then sent a text message to Tommy Stevens' agent saying, I'm done asking. <laughs> and, <awesome>. then, <laughs> and then sent a text message to Joe Brady saying, Not so fast. And so, you know, the, you know, we, <laughs> Sean Payton has a, a reputation for being petty here in New Orleans. And there's just another example of him being the ultra fun guy that he is, but also saying, Look, I like this guy and I'm going to go and get him. And so they ended up trading back in to grab that fourth guy as well. And uh, what is a pretty incredible story uh, from this, this year's draft. It's funny how the draft goes and the local ties, most obvious draft pick Patrick queen was the selection for the saints almost in every single mock. I think it was in my mock draft, almost every mock draft you see it just fit too well and need and value. When you see those in mock drafts, it never happens, and and I'm not surprised right. at all that it didn't happen in the end and that Saints fans were a little upset not to get the LSU guy, but I actually like the, the Cesar right. Ruiz pick better. I, I thought he was underrated in the draft and a fantastic selection, and I love the way the Saints build up front. I think that is really important, and it's going to be a huge factor post-Drew Brees, and, and he'll be a guy who can step in and play a lot early, and it's interesting that you think he's going to jump in and play center for the Saints. Uh, one more real quick looking at... The defensive side of the ball here, DeMario Davis 
is a stud. You've got studs at every level they brought in. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins to go with Marcus Williams, one of the more underrated safeties in the league. How do you see those two safeties playing together? What kind of roles will they be on the back end? And obviously, you know, the pass rush up front, you've got Jordan, uh, Cameron Jordan. I was on a call on Jordan Cameron. Cameron Jordan. That <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> I know. Still, gosh, how many years? Um, he won the Battle of the Guys, Cameron my, Jordan. My best friend's kids are named Jordan and Cameron. So I know. <laughs> oh, it's hysterical. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Matt Marcus Davenport, the pass rusher. So I love what's going on in the entirety of the the defensive side of the football. Locks are going to look a lot the same, I think, there. But that safety uh, situation is one I'm interested in. How are they going to play? Is it, is it Williams? Because he's got that single high ability in that range at safety. Is he going to drop down to play strong safety? Is Malcolm Jenkins going to play the strong safety? How do you see those roles in New Orleans this year? It's a really interesting conversation. I'm so glad you asked about this, Brian. Thank you. Because it's a really, really interesting conversation. Because not only is it those two, but it's also C.J. Gardner-Johnson, last year's third-round pick yes. at 105, Loved or top him. of the fourth-round pick last year, uh, 105, who really came on last year and was a fantastic piece for the Saints. Didn't really start immediately with the Saints, but ended up getting more and more, more and more playing time all throughout the season. And uh, was a big, big contributor for the team as well and he's somebody to really look out for in terms of how he gets involved the saints used to really rely on those three safety systems a little bit further back in the day when they had guys like Raphael bush as well as uh, the unfortunate jairus bird years but also roman harper and you saw them use a lot of three safety sets and i think that you'll see that again this season and a lot of those sub packages they spent about 70 percent more than 70 percent of their time in that five defensive back sub package, so nickel. And whether they had three cornerbacks to two safeties or three safeties to two cornerbacks, I think that that's going to be a big part of the conversation this year. You're going to see Malcolm Jenkins play a lot down in the slot, as well as playing that strong safety role close to the line of scrimmage, playing in the box, and also helping to cover back deep. But then you're also going to see C.J. Garner-Johnson swap off with him. They're even talking about P.J. Williams playing a little bit of safety as well throughout the season. The Saints are really into this idea, particularly amongst their secondary within uh, not their corners in particular, Norris Jenkins, Marshawn Lattimore. They'll continue to do their thing. They may get to play a little bit more man-to-man this season, which is really good for them. But with those safeties... And with that nickel package, there's going to be a lot of rotation there. And you're going to see a lot of you know looks pre-snap that are going to rotate into completely different looks post-snap to where a guy that maybe looked like he was going to be playing back is going to run up to, t- to pick up the slot coverage guy while the guy that was originally in, in coverage in the slot is going to invert to uh, deep coverage or middle of the field coverage. So it's going to be really interesting to watch because the Saints have a lot of options between Marcus Williams. He can play just about anywhere, but you're going to see him be a little bit more of that deep safety guy. They love him there. He's got some of the best range in the NFL at the safety position. He's an incredible player, and I agree, completely, uh, very much underrated uh, because of the unfortunate plays that we do get to see it from him on repeat. And then a guy that's a leader like Malcolm Jenkins that can cover, that can be a presence in the run game, that can play close to the line of scrimmage. And then C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who's basically just a younger, a little bit less disciplined, bigger, you know, in terms of like throwing his body around um, version of Malcolm Jenkins, who I think is going to learn a lot having Jenkins as a vocal leader, who C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I believe, will be later on as a vocal leader uh, to learn from. And he can play a little bit of deep safety, he can play in the slot, and he can play that strong safety role. So rotating those guys is going to be a huge benefit for the Saints in terms of continuing to unfold wrinkles all throughout the season and continuing to uh, be unpredictable as well on defense. That is Ross Jackson. You can find him on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. You can find his podcast in all the same places you can find Locked On NFL. Let a friend know that the Saints are covered daily by Ross right here on the network. Ross, thank you so much 
for the time. I know things are busy for you covering the Saints right now, and we really appreciate all the great information. Absolute pleasure, my guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Love listening to y'all. Love all the work that you do, and I'm just glad to be able to be a part of it. Y'all take care and stay safe, all right? Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. That'll do it for today's show. Thanks again to Ross. We will talk to Locked On Rams host Brad Motter about what's going on in Los Angeles tomorrow. Another Twitter Thursday coming. Get those into Matt and I. Tag me at BD Peacock. Tag Matt at Williamson NFL. Talk to you then right here at Locked On NFL.